0: Got time for a quick story. David Page of Toto, probably one of the most influential songwriters in the history of pop music. I say that because Africa has become such a part of the fabric of pop music, especially over the past five To ten years, it's sort of accelerated to this point where everybody knows Africa. And more and more people seem to like Africa. Africa was written by David Page. And was a fairly late, uncertain addition to Toto's album, Toto 4 which included Rosanna, one album of the year at the Grammys, and then Africa went on to become Toto's only number 1 hit on the Billboard Hot 100. It's a legendary song. David Page sings the verses on Africa. He's sang on other Toto songs. He plays keyboards on Toto songs. He's been with Toto since they were formed in the 1970s. And before that he was playing with other members of Toto and other session musicians before Toto was actually formed, playing with other musicians like uh, Boz Skaggs, David Page co-wrote Lowdown, his father's legendary Marty Page, and yet all this time there has not been a solo David Page album, EP, anything like that. That changed on August 19th, 2022 with the release of Forgotten Toys, and that was the occasion for me to get to talk to David Page. Here is my interview. Well, we're talking today to David Page. This is really cool. Um, David Page just releasing his, uh, his his well first solo project, "Forgotten Toys," this past Friday. Listen to it a bunch over the weekend. Um, I I hear a spectrum. Okay, it's almost like a sampler of your styles, which of course, I mean, you've, you've written in all sorts of genres and, and such, but was there any sort of thought with, and I kind of know the background of how you listening to some other interviews of finding some of the, the material to put this together, but is it, a, is it a safe way to say kind of that this is almost a sampler of what you can put out as a songwriter, arranger, musician, singer, etc.?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, I've been doing it all my life. Uh, through uh, that luxury of having a vehicle, having a band for, with, for a vehicle. And uh, uh, it's, it's just, uh, uh, I grew up, uh, my father was an arranger, so I learned how to arrange uh, through him, uh, through apprenticeship through him, and uh, he was my mentor. And so I just kind of continue on and keep trying to be the best arranger, songwriter that I can. And I think this was an example of just where I'm at at the moment here, and 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 the way I've collected uh, odds and ends and pieces to a musical puzzle uh, for the last several years, and we're able to uh, uh, frame them with the help of Joseph Williams and uh, make a EP.
0: Steve Lukather's solo album came out. 2021 you just mentioned joseph williams same came out of right like they were in sync with each other it was at february of 2021 i believe they both came out right um right and did you ever consider prior to around this time pandemic era etc doing any sort of a solo project was this a new thing what was the first time you ever thought in your career Hmm, i might want to do a solo project
1: um, Joseph Williams came by, and I was playing. I was I was rediscovering some pieces that I had uh, forgotten about uh, in my library. And uh, Joseph, who was working on his solo album at the time, says, "You need to do a solo record." Uh, and Luke uh, urged me too. He says, "Then we, all three of us can release our solo albums at the same time." So I got a little urging, and a little prodding, and a little bullying <laughs> <laughs> from my cohorts, and. Uh, uh, they they wanted me to do one so I, I I love music and I love being in the studio so I started collecting pieces and showing them to Joseph and uh, he helped me frame a lot of them and uh, and let me be the artist you know so it was very uh, uh productive
0: it, from right from the beginning uh as I started listening to it and i'm I'm streaming it right like the day it comes out and I hear the transition go from forward to will I belong to you and I look I look at, I think I was driving at that point, or maybe I was listening on my phone, and I looked down and I go, wait a minute, this is track two. This this felt like track one all together. It was that seamless. I know they are different pieces, but I didn't think of that. It didn't sound like a stop and go. Was that somewhat intentional to go from your own work, that kind of prelude, into the gear-sounding effect, and then into Will I Belong to You? How was that plotted?
1: Well, that was uh, just came from imagination, and uh, I had the, the forward piece at the very end there, and we, we knew we wanted to start with a, Will I Belong to You, so uh, they just got hooked up uh, uh, magically, and uh, in the spirit of Sergeant Pepper, you know, I love surprises, and I love diversity, and I love the use of orchestral instruments uh, with uh, rock and roll, so uh, I was able to capture a A little magic there In the first
0: four minutes I'm always fascinated By the order And the placement Of songs in an album And making it more Of a work of art As opposed to just Here ten songs We're just randomly Throwing them on there Was that The intention Of going from that Into like First time eventually Get around to Lucy At the end Was that planned That way To have the songs Go in that order
1: Uh, Not really We just tried Different orders uh, that uh, we have the luxury of having uh, uh, computerized uh, programs that allow you to sequence and resequence the programs where before that had to be done by cutting tape and you had to go to mastering or having an engineer in house engineer, uh, but this is uh, uh, we were able to tr- try different sequences, and this one seemed to stick and seemed to make sense to everybody.
0: I love looking at the liner notes, seeing all of the legendary ses- session musician names. You're one of them, obviously, but all of these other ones that are coming up, Bandmates in Toto, other folks like Michael McDonald and Nathan East, etc., etc.—but cetera. Et cetera. But, the, but one name that I see come up a couple of times, Frederick Holland. How did you come across uh, his work?
1: Um, I was working with uh, a friend of mine who's a neighbor uh, at the time. Uh, uh Robin DiMaggio, who was producing Don Felder and he had used uh, Frederick Colander on some of his productions and uh i didn't know who he was, uh, but uh Robin told me he was a great songwriter and had written something in believe for Justin Bieber and uh he would played guitar and bass and also sang, so he would just uh they would just take my two tracks and uh over- do do overdubs on them and, and bring them back to me, and uh, it, it allowed for the spacey kind of uh, uh, Eno-esque uh, type of uh, uh, guitar playing and vocalizing and stuff that was just very spacey and very vibey, you know?
0: To, to that point, you mentioned Eno-esque, and on all the tears that shine, there is Brian Eno listed right. with synthesizer. It, the names on here, I, I was alluding to some of them, but then uh, if anyone's at all familiar with the history of pop and rock music, there are some that'll stand out even more, like Davy Johnstone is, shows up there, Eno, as we were just referencing. How did you, right. I mean, these are these are people you've come across in your career, obviously. How do you, I mean, how did you decide who to bring in and what what was the determining factor of, okay, I'd like you to be on this recording, on this particular song, did they listen? How did that work out to arrange artist with song?
1: That was involved Joseph and myself as far as casting. We're pretty good at casting songs and uh, we were the ones that had always had the discussion, well what if we use this guy for acoustic guitar? What if we use this guy on electric and stuff? And Davy Johnson, people, most people on that album I've known for years and have been friends with and still are friends with. Her. But Brian Eno I have still not met to this day I did, uh, he did participated in the Dune album that I did back in the eighties and I hadn't met him yet, uh, with David Lynch, brought him in and, uh, um, uh, Robin DiMaggio again was the conduit. Uh, he'd worked with, uh, uh, Paul Simon and Brian Eno was co-producing on the record. And, uh, uh, he, he played, uh, the, the, all the tears that shine for Eno, uh, as the story goes. And, uh, Eno said, uh, well, you should start the song off with uh, something like this, and gave him a little, that little beacon beeping uh, sent, uh, sampled sound that's at the beginning and continues on through the whole song there. And so uh, I'm grateful to uh, Eno and I can't wait to meet him, and thank you, Brian
0: Eno. <laughs> yes, that's, that's a really awesome story. Um, I perked up when I saw in, in the initial in the initial previews of the album that Ray Parker Jr. was going to be on there. go, okay, well, that's cool to hear his guitar, and then it's on this kind of neo-jazz track. And, I mean, again, everyone can, has their own talents. They can they can do a variety of music. But, again, something that that was a surprise, and yet there's the it, it layers right in well with that. How did you and Joseph decide to have... Ray Parker Jr. play on that piece in particular and make that work so well?
1: Well, uh, the album was just about done and Ray called me and says, "You, you this is your first solo album and uh, you need to find something for me to play. I have to be on your album. So he insisted he was on my album. He called me, he told me, I want to play, find something for me to play on. So we had a, finished all these other tracks, but Lucy had this little funky kind of thing happening with it in the groove in the second verse. So I thought that's gotta be something Ray can do in there. And so he brought in his guitar and played like two notes and kept repeating just two notes, which is uh, very easy, uh, uh, it's his signature for playing real simple parts in it. So uh, we were able to get Ray on there and uh, I'm glad we did.
0: Yeah, the, so the generations of of instrumentalists on, on this one collection of Seven tracks in total. You as a session musician, a session instrumentalist and seeing where the industry has evolved over time. And of course, there's plenty more digitization and pre recorded loops, et cetera. But here, all of these, where do you think that next generation is coming from with some of the younger talent like Frederick Holland, et cetera, coming up through their is there a viable new generation of session musicians that can thrive in the in the pop rock music industry today
1: well that's an interesting question i think that so much recording is done at home and they don't do it individually track by track as opposed to all playing in a room together uh i think nashville still has musicians that uh, do sessions together and they do them live so i think that's kind of where the uh the the music's coming from now as far as session players go and guys that do it for a living frequently. Where out here, uh, everybody sends files to each other. Uh, The universe we live in right now is technological, is streaming and files and digital. And uh, so we send files over the phone, especially during the pandemic. Uh, We were forced to uh, work with Zoom and Skype and FaceTime and uh, use the technology to uh, uh, recreate these sessions, uh, These sessions, like you hear on my record, that were done, a lot of them were done in uh, individual moments.
0: Last question for you before I let you go. Um, how many more forgotten toys are out there in reference to bits of music, songs, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that whether they are on another solo project, a Toto project, another project for another artist, etc., How much yeah. unreleased music is is in your life that you have got stored?
1: Uh, I've got a little bit there. You know, I won't say that I have an abundance of stuff, but I'm just rediscovering it as I'm going through my library. I'm rediscovering stuff every day. So uh, I'm not even sure as to the answer of that. I just know that I haven't found the ending uh, uh the the end of the well of music here uh, that's uh in my studio and in my computer that I've been uh, just put storing away uh for the winter, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Well there's there's that it's good to know that there's potentially more to come. This was a fun, fun listen, forgotten toys by David Page and those of us that grew up literally hearing your work on the radio, et cetera, et cetera, and then hearing with all of these musicians. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this project. Anyone should give this a listen. David, thanks for taking some time and chatting with us this morning.
1: Hey, thank you so much, and I want to thank all of our fans and friends and family out there that have uh, uh, been loyal uh, to supporters of us for uh, all these years, and uh, uh, we're very grateful and very blessed And thank you very much, all of you. Uh, We couldn't have done it without you.
0: Great interview with David Page of Toto. That was really awesome getting to chat with him. Got to talk with Steve Lukather in the past, Joseph Williams in the past, and now David Page covering a lot of the Toto angles right there. If you want to learn more about what Toto's doing, go to their website, TotoOfficial.com, TotoOfficial.com. You'll see what... Their tour dates are, you'll, you'll see news and such, and learn about everything Toto related, which of course includes what David Page is doing in his release of Forgotten Toys. This has been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Really cool getting a chance to do these types of interviews thanks to Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio, my employer, here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing the facilities to do these interviews. You can watch and listen in these interviews. Post them on our YouTube channel. Also put them at greatesthits981.com. You'll see at the top of the page it says Features. You can put your mouse over there and it'll drop down and say Interviews. Click there. Find the interviews as well. Like I said, in some cases you can watch, like literally watch the interview. We do some on Zoom. Um, big thanks as well to... Um, Alan Rommelfanger for helping to set up this interview. He's helped with a lot of the Toto-related interviews over the years. Big thanks to him for getting this arranged. If you want to find more on the Got Time for a Quick Story podcast, you can go to aroundthe715.com. It's there. It's our sister site with Greatest Hits 98.1. You can also go to a lot of podcast platforms and find Got Time for a Quick Story. Subscribe to it so you know when new episodes arrive. And rate it, preferably highly, which will spread the word around about this podcast. Got time for a quick story. I'm Luke Anthony.